Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, January the 24th, 2023. Uh, last year, I did an interesting show with uh, the writer, um, Melissa Urban um, on whether we should set relationships, um, whether we, we should set boundaries in our relationships, which free us. Um, so really what I think Melissa was saying in her new book, or it was book, it was new back then, the book of boundaries, set the limits that will set you free, suggests um, that we should sometimes be selfish, that selfishness benefited us, or at least it benefited us as the self. She might have been articulating a kind of gospel of selfishness, if you like. Um, we have a similar conversation and a similar book today. Uh, there's a new book out. It's called The Joy of Saying No by my guest, Natalie Liu. Um, she's a prominent UK-based blogger and podcaster. Um, and she is joining us today from Caterham, which is on the border of London and Surrey in the southeast part of London. Natalie, are you arguing in the joy of saying no, that we need to be more selfish, that selfishness is, is not a bad thing? No, I, I, the, the thing about saying no is that so many people equate saying no with being selfish. What I'm advocating for is that we need to be more authentic with our yes and our no. And we need to consider ourselves instead of pretending that we don't exist and sacrificing ourselves for our relationships or for our work. You use the A word. I have to admit, uh, it's not my favorite word, authentic. <laughs> what, what do you mean by that? So uh, I totally get what you mean about because authentic is, is a somewhat overused word and yet it is the the word that matters here is about being more honest and uh, about who we are so reflecting more of our values and so representing you know what we what we need and want in life representing our character that's very difficult to do when you are dishonest in your relationships and let's be clear a, a lot of the time we we think that telling people what we think they want to hear and saying yes when we really mean no is an okay form of dishonesty because it makes other people feel good and it helps us to avoid conflict. But this can actually have a huge impact on our well-being. And of course, it can impact on the intimacy of our relationships as well. The subtitle of your book is A Simple Plan to Stop People Pleasing. Uh, reclaim boundaries and say yes to the life you want. What does people pleasing mean? Uh, I've always thought of people pleasing as making others happy, which maybe I, I need to say no more often, but was supposed to be a good thing. <laughs> and uh, you're not alone in, in feeling that way. People pleasing is us being and doing or avoiding certain things in order to put other people's needs, expectations, desires, feelings, and opinions ahead of our own. We do it to gain attention, affection, approval, love, and validation. 
but we also do certain things to quote unquote please people to avoid conflict, criticism, additional stress, disappointment, loss, and rejection. And I, I think that a lot of people feel confused around people pleasing because it's like, well, what's so bad about wanting to please others? And there's nothing wrong with wanting to please others. It's the why behind it. So plenty of us like to do things for our loved ones and maybe we will want to stay on for a bit longer at work and we're happy to do favors and put ourselves out. That's very different to from doing things because on some level we're afraid that if we say no, that the person is going to be angry with us, that they're going to reject us. We maybe are doing it because of what we hope to get back in return. So it's like, if I do this thing for you, then maybe you will please me or you won't criticize me. So it's really the why behind our pleasing that can make it people pleasing. Natalie, we did a show last year with a professor, female professor at a business school, suggesting that at the professional level and within the university, it's the women who always say yes. Uh, <laughs> Is there a, a gendered quality to this? I mean, obviously, you're a woman. You're a popular podcaster. Your uh, uh, your your baggage reclaim sessions does very well. You're a popular blogger too. Do, do you get a sense from your writing and from your audience that you're mostly writing to women, or or, or does the joy of saying no is it equal equally applicable to to modern men and modern women? So. I would say that it is equally applicable to men and women. However, women, you know, we, we, we are all, so all of us as humans, we are socialized and conditioned within a patriarchal system. And that has favored men over women. However, we are all also within that, we've all received messages about what is okay to say yes to and what is not okay. To, to say no about. And at the same time, women have less margin to say no than men do simply because of the systems that are in place. That doesn't mean that men don't struggle with it. That, that, that's why I believe that the book, you know, the messages that are in there is for everybody. But in my work, initially it was mostly women that I was speaking to. And over the years, I'd say it's pretty much evened up because everybody is, a lot, certainly a lot of people are struggling in some way around their boundaries. We did a show also um, last year with Rena Raphael. Uh, she has a new book out on the wellness scam, um, mm. the gospel of wellness, gyms, gurus, goop, and the false promise of self-care. I'm not suggesting that you're guilty of this, but is there also a danger of telling people a message, selling a message that we all want to hear that it's okay to say no, um, and that that might actually undermine our relationships as parents, as friends, as husbands, as wives, as children? So there's a lot of confusing messages around boundaries, self-care, you know, where people are like, oh, I can kind of treat a person however I want to, boom, hashtag self-care, which is not what that is about at all. And I think that there is a massive industry around wellness. I've never considered myself to be 
uh, in the wellness space um, in a sense of that goops and all of that type of stuff. I really, when I talk about boundaries and saying no, it, I always emphasize about mutual love, care, trust, and respect in our interactions. So if the way that we're going around saying yes or no for that matter really has a way of sort of overstepping other people's boundaries and being disrespectful, then we're not really being that boundary in the first place. I don't advocate for people to trash their relationships. What I advocate for is for people to evolve their relationship with yes and no, because if you don't say yes authentically, you say it resentfully, fearfully, and avoidantly, and that leads to more problems than if you just said no in the first place. I think as a society, we're often looking for quick fixes around wellness as such. And I, I do find the term wellness quite an interesting one, but we're often looking for quick fixes. So it's like a wellness is doing yoga and meditation and you know, it's buying candles and having a bath and buying this and buying that. Actually, a, a way for us to improve our well-being and our relationships is to foster more authentic connections. And that is through more honest yes and no. Uh, for people, uh, we've got two kinds of uh, audience, Natalie. We've got podcast uh, listeners and we've got uh, video viewers. For, for, for podcasters, they won't see you, but you are wearing a very stylish sweatshirt with recovering people pleaser on the front is there a, a personal element here have you been through this cycle of of saying yes too often and, and needing to learn how to say no absolutely um i have been a a lifelong people pleaser and a recovering one you know for about 17 and a half years now i for me being a people pleaser was as natural to me as breathing because uh, that was what it was like for me growing up. There were, there were times when I felt unsafe. There were certain things that I experienced or messages that I received that made it seem like no was a dirty word, that it was very important for me to be a good girl. And that meant performing, you know, academically delivering, staying out of trouble, trying to stay on a parent's good side to avoid their wrath. Then it spilled into my romantic relationships and then it spilled into work. And it had, it really had a terrible impact on my sense of self. I, I didn't like myself, but I was also, I, I burnt out at work. I had terrible health. I had terrible, you know, romantic relationships, really other than friendships. I really kind of struggled in in really familial and romantic relationships, you know, most of the time. So this, what I've learned about boundaries and people pleasing has also come from really having to figure that out over the last 17 or so years. And bearing in mind that when I first started, I've been online, you know, writing online blogging since 2004, so almost yeah, you, uh, you've written an awful lot. I mean, I was just looking at your website. It's hundreds, thousands of blogs and also yeah. podcasts. So you're uh, borrowing the A word. You're an authentic podcaster and blogger. You're certainly not someone who's jumping on the bandwagon here. Yeah, absolutely. And when I started writing, it, it, I was sharing my journey and sharing insights from that. Because honestly, at that time, when you looked around for advice, 
around this kind of stuff. It was 50 ways to please your man and put on sexy lingerie and light a candle and cook a fancy meal. That was kind of the answer to all of your problems. Please, please people and everything will be better. And I wanted to have a conversation about all the things that were weighing on me. And when I spoke out loud about what I struggled with, you know, being involved with emotionally unavailable men, being involved with abusive relationships, struggling with boundaries at work, with family, I thought I was a weirdo. But when I spoke out loud about that online, people were like, oh my God, you're talking about me. I experienced this stuff. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. So it has been important for me to chart my journey of figuring out boundaries and and people pleasing and that's a that's a work in progress because doing so has allowed me to grow but it's also helped to the people along the way as well you're author of, of several um books which have got a lot of reviews i'm not sure if they're best selling but close to best selling books one of them is mr unavailable and the fullback girl you you talked a little bit about romance and your struggle it isn't the problem, though, not with you, but with men. <laughs> I love that. So I don't subscribe to, there's a real thing out there where it's like, if you just love yourself more, you know, everything will be fine in your life. And you can love yourself and you can still at some point find yourself in a relationship that you need to extricate yourself from. I, however, will say that what we seem to have internalized about dating and relationships and marriage, particularly when we look at it through that heteronormative lens on which a lot of this has been built, it's pretty messed up. And when we consider what messages men have received around romantic relationships and in a way being taught that they have the pick of the land, you know, pick up the bunch and that they can do whatever they want. There is a problem with that in the sense that the industry of wellness, is, as you said, and self-improvement and, so, and stuff is very, very targeted at women. And women very much invest themselves in fixing themselves, you know, in preparation for a relationship, whereas many men are not socialized to believe that they even have to do that because they feel as if they have their pick. So you're agreeing with me. The problem is with men. <laughs> yes, to an extent. <laughs> to an extent. Not always. I, I feel... So that they're the ones you should be changing. So um, you, you mentioned that you're, and I, I'm not dating you here, but you're part of that first generation of <laughs> uh, Web 2.0 authors and podcasters. Social media, of course, has taken off and changed everything. You're on Twitter, but you're not a huge presence on Twitter. I wonder whether you think that social media these days, whether it's um, uh, Instagram and, and, and TikTok in particular, they're built on individuals and particularly women pleasing their audience. Is there a huge problem in the context of, of your arguments with contemporary social media? So... <laughs> you you've spotted something about this whole social media and content production thing which is that element of you've got to keep pumping out stuff and delivering some sort of pithy comment on something or and being online and having this presence and pleasing people to basically keep getting attention and 
for me, for instance, I am not, I'm not massively into social media. That's why I don't really have, I'm not saying I don't have any presence, but I don't invest a massive amount in social media. Um, because what happens is, and I've even found this even in just writing a blog and, and doing a podcast and using stuff like Instagram, that there is this, this cycle of, of content and this production and producing this stuff here, audience, here is this free content for you. And hopefully in return, you will like me and you will love my stuff. And maybe you might buy something from me one day. And it's all kind of exhausting. Um, and it's not, it's not sustainable. So I do think that there is a very strong element of people pleasing that goes on out there. And that can cause people to do stuff that's not necessarily in alignment really with who they are. Yeah. And it seems to me that in social media with Instagram and TikTok in particular, there's the destruction of all boundaries. People, people tell their audience everything about themselves. It's, it's, it's um, dangerously, because I'm not a big fan of it, it's dangerously confessional. That's an interesting one because it's funny. When people, I, when people meet me in real life, um, you know, I'll have people who've been listening to my podcast and some people have been reading my blog the whole way along. And they'll say they feel as if they know me really well. But actually, one of the boundaries that I've had is that, you know, yes, I share, but I share with boundaries. And so it can feel like people know me, but I'm probably only sharing about 5% of, of my life. I value my privacy. I value the boundaries of those around me. Um, and I also don't believe in doing stuff in the raw so what I mean by that, and, you know, you see a lot where people are literally putting their camera on and they're talking about the thing and breaking down and, and having a cry. And look, each to their own. But I, I think that for some of us, we will look back on some of that stuff and see how we're sort of pillaging ourselves for for our audiences in in the hopes of gaining attention and and likes and you know, building up this massive following. And, and it can be quite discomforting to see some of this because I, I think sometimes when we look back on this stuff, we go, oh my gosh, what on earth was I doing? Was I really being that boundaried with what I was expressing there? Yeah, as in, and when I say boundaried, it's not about, you know, a lot of, at the moment, we'll use the example of Prince Harry. There's a lot of talk at the moment about dirty laundry and what's okay to talk about and not talk about. And so I'm not talking about that where it's like, oh, it's bad to talk about yourself or your private life. But I think that there is, if we're not, if we don't understand the why behind it, you know, what I was talking about earlier on, understanding the intentions of what we're doing. If we don't understand the intentions of what we're sharing, I do think that what you described, that sort of pouring yourself out, out online in this confessional, you end up actually crossing over your, your boundaries and sharing things in a way that you are not going to feel comfortable with in the future. I asked you before, Natalie, about the, 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 the gender question of men and women and this issue of, of saying no. What about the generational one? You hear mm. more and more amongst uh, young people and teens and, and in their 20s about being influencers. Um, uh, I'm not going to be too nosy and ask for your age, but you're not, you, you're certainly not in, in your teens. Um, is there a generational quality to this? 
Do you think that younger people, perhaps teenagers, people in their 20s should read this book? Would they learn something particularly from it, particularly people who aspire to be, quote unquote, influencers? So I think that, you know, I'm 45, so I don't have a problem uh, saying that. And there are generational differences with what we're comfortable with saying yes and no to. I mean, I'm, I'm a parent to teenage daughters. And I so admire their confidence around voicing their discomforts uh, about certain things. Because I didn't have that confidence at, at that age. I'm not even sure I had that confidence 10 years ago. <laughs> so I admire that. Of course, all the generations uh, uh, will struggle to some degree with, with boundaries. Because, of course, we, we grow up in an environment. And as children, we, we learn to obey and comply at school and around you know parents and other authorities in our lives and so in adulthood we have to start figuring out where we need to say no but I think that there is value for somebody for instance who is in their 20s because I believe me I hear from people in their 20s frighteningly I hear from people who are in their teens who are struggling around you know some of this stuff with the people pleasing and the boundaries so I do absolutely believe that there is is value for people who are of that age group and also at the same time, I will say that what we're struggling around saying no to has varied depending on generation. So when my mom had me as an unmarried uh, mother at that time, that was in the late 70s. That wasn't kind of the done thing, but of course she was bucking a trend, but that would have meant a lot for her at that time. A generation before when her mom did it, that meant a lot of problems for her back then. She didn't have necessarily the certain freedoms, the certain access to things that I did by the time I was of the age that, that she had me. So what you feel confident about saying no to has definitely varied by generations for sure, regardless of whether you're a man or a woman. Natalie, I was looking around uh, the internet, seeing a number of responses to your work, and there was a, a piece on the Oprah site on... Uh, and I'm quoting 10 ways to embrace wholeness every day, expert advice on how to cut through the noise and get in touch with your truest self. I've always been curious about this notion of a truest self or a true self. Is our life in a way, uh, in contrast with a, a kind of a, a, a Lockean understanding that everything comes through experience, do you think that in an odd way, life is a return to this truest self. Where does this exist, this true self? Is it something born in us? Are we returning to something? Is it this hard nut somewhere in us that we need to get back to? This is a really beautiful question. Um, I agree that there, you know, we don't come into this world I mean, of course, yeah, we inherit certain things and there's epigenetics that talks about how we can actually inherit, for instance, you know, certain levels of generational trauma. But we don't come into this world with these opinions of ourselves being like, oh, I'm crap at this and I'm rubbish at that and I don't like this and I don't like that. We learn those things over time. There are things that we have this innate sense that we enjoy, that they light us up, that they give us a sense of purpose. We have a sense of who we are as a kid for instance, hopefully, and then different things come along that divert our attention or tell us that we're something else. 
And so I do believe that as we as we move through life, depending on on sort of the, the different experiences that we're having and what we take away from them, that there is most definitely a return to, to self that is taking place, but it, it is also evolving. Like I am more myself than I have ever been, but I'll be evolving even more as the, the weeks and months and years go by. So I have felt this way at different points over the last 17 years in particular, but I look back and I go, wow, I'm even more me than I was then. So you're going deeper and deeper into that. And we need these experiences, the challenges and the joys to help us do that, to confront more, of, to confront who we are. Something I say, for instance, about our relationships is that, you know, when we're in a relationship and that's not really working for us and we're complaining about, well, they don't do this and it didn't have that and these are giving us an insight into what it is that we need so that we can be more discerning as we move through our other relationships and, and we move into new relationships. So we discover who we are by discovering who we're not. And also we have this idea, it's really important for me to get this particular thing. I need this and I need that. Life comes along and it gives you these experiences that teach you about what you really do need and what you really do want. Natalie, for better or worse, you are in the, shall we say, the self-help business. People read your books and particularly this book to learn how to make themselves happier, to lead better, happier, more meaningful lives. Uh, you live in the United Kingdom, which is really a, uh, a, a sort of a pioneering post-religious society in an odd way, you're the replacement for the for the priest and the pastor, aren't you? You're 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 giving people advice in a world where people no longer believe in God. Is that fair? Uh, I've never thought of it that way. I mean, I definitely don't compare myself as a standard. No, I'm not to... suggesting that you would have the audacity or the cheek to compare yourself with being a priest or a pastor, but there is this sort of odd spiritual vacuum in our world, which mm. one of the reasons why we're so, we struggle, we're so anxious is because of that. And, and, and you are offering advice, but it's not in the context of God. Mm -hmm. It's in the context oddly of the self, which is as good a replacement as we can have given, given the nature of things. Is that fair? Yeah, actually. I mean, that does make sense what you're saying. And actually, you know, I, even though I'm born here in England, I actually grew up mostly in, in Dublin and Ireland. And what I have found fascinating is that Ireland, is, you know, for me growing up was a very religious country. And even though here, you know, we talk about church and state here, it, it really isn't that way here at all like people don't really openly talk about religion here whereas in Ireland people have no I mean of course there's been a lot of things that have gone on within a church and stuff but people wouldn't have embarrassment about saying that they go to mass whereas I've been back living in England for over 20 years now and I never I can't think of anybody within my life who's been like oh yeah I go to church like people don't really talk about that it's not really a thing here and I do agree that whereas there was a heavy people heavily going to church back in the day and it was like that destination and it was that place where they look for solace and answers. I do agree that people look for that in, in different places through different avenues. And yes, 
sometimes that's through people like me. Well, we have to end, Natalie, um, with you saying no, because you say the joy of saying no is, um, is, is the core of your book. Perhaps you might say it. <laughs> what, say no? <laughs> yes, say it. Say it loud. <laughs> no! 